What's your name? My name is Alex Cohen. What do you do for a living? I am the play-by-play voice of the Iowa Cubs, AAA affiliate of the Chicago Cubs. What's your favorite reality TV show? House Hunters. <laughs> what do you think in general about people who appear on reality TV shows? Um, I think they're nuts. Coming up on this edition of Life Around the Seams, our guest is Alex Cohen. He and his girlfriend, Tessa, recently bought a house, and they decided to allow HGTV's house hunters to follow along. We will discuss what it's like talking behind a microphone on radio about baseball and what it's like being in front of reality cameras on television. All that and a whole lot more. This is Life Around the Seams. Former Major League pitcher Jim Bouton once wrote, You spend a good piece of your life gripping a baseball, and in the end, it turns out, it was the other way around all the time. Welcome to Life Around the Seams, a podcast about baseball people who have interesting stories from between the lines, and sometimes even more interesting stories outside the lines. Here's your host, Josh Sushan. It's good to see you, my friend. It's been way too long. It's been a long time. Uh, this last year has felt like 10 years, a decade, but you haven't aged a bit, Josh. I, uh, you look good. Well, th- this, is, this is bittersweet, too, because, you know, for 2018 and 19, I went to Iowa. I had food poisoning one year, and you're giving me crackers and ginger ale in order to help me. You never made it to Albuquerque. You never saw our Wall of Fame broadcaster's photos. And now, because of realignment, I'm only going to be able to see you on Zoom or when I turn on a reality TV show. Or if uh, we happen to make the championship uh, in, in years to come. So, yeah, but let's, not, let's not forget about that. But, but true, I never was able to make it out to Albuquerque. And the first time I met you, you were uh, dealing with a severe case of food poisoning. <laughs> and I was just throwing saltines into your booth in between innings. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if you're aware of this, but... In Albuquerque, we have we, we tried to find a goofy photo of all of the Pacific Coast League broadcasters. And when you got hired, we didn't know anything about you and we didn't have access to any goofy photos. All that we knew about you is what we saw on Twitter. And it seemed like you were always fighting with somebody on Twitter. So, we just, so we just did a screenshot of your bio and we put that up for the Alex Cohen photo. Oh, it's awesome. Oh, I love that. That makes me that oh, it brings tears of joy to my eyes. But then we had it all set up for last year because when I was in Des Moines, there was a foul ball that went into your booth and it went into the fan. It stuck inside the fan and I got this photo and I was proud. I was like, all right, when Alex shows up in 2020 to Albuquerque, he'll have a photo. It's goofy. It's a baseball. It's inside a fan. He's smiling. And then the pandemic hits and and we, and you just never ruins everything. Yeah, exactly. No, I remember that game vividly. We, the, the ball zoomed right by Dean and we couldn't find it. We couldn't find it for a couple innings, right? Where did it go? Like we thought that Dean's grandson stole the ball. And, and then I went back and got a drink of water. I look in the fan and it's, it's inside the fan. It was just so bizarre. 
All right. Well, speaking of bizarre, it's, it's one thing to convince a girlfriend to move from San Francisco anywhere. Then to convince her to move from San Francisco to Des Moines is impressive. Well done. And then you guys decide, okay, we're going to buy something. What makes you decide that, hey, let's have house hunters come <laughs> along for the ride? So, so the pandemic was really interesting. So let's flash back to March 12, 2020. Uh, we are in New Orleans for a wedding. Uh, about half the people showed up for the wedding. And Tess is like, listen, you know, my work is letting us work from home. I'm just going to bring an extra bag. So if this pandemic lasts an extra month, I can stay with you. Well, the pandemic lasts more than a month, more than another month and, and into the next year. So she comes to Iowa. We're in a one bedroom apartment. Um, and we know we realize soon that she's going to be there for more than a month. So, you know what, Let, let's get something to take our minds off the pandemic. How about we foster a dog? So we foster a dog. His name is Jax. He's a you know, 55 pound pit bull at the time that foster soon turns into adoption within like 48 hours. We knew we were going to adopt him. Um, so we were in that one bedroom apartment. We moved to that two bedroom uh, to a two bedroom apartment to expand. And then, you know, we, we see the interest rates for homes and, and buying houses and mortgage rates. And they're at 2.5%. And yeah, I've been in Des Moines for three years and we just wanted more space and I didn't feel like paying rent anymore. I would have rather paid a mortgage. So I'm getting that money back. So, so we think, you know what, yeah, let's, let's try to look for homes. We go to a couple open houses. Um, this is, I, I guess like early August, late July of 2020. We go to bed one night and we wake up at seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and Tessa goes, Alex, and I'm half asleep. I'm like, what's up? She's like, I think I'm going to apply this to be on HGTV. Five-minute application. I go, knock your socks off. Famous last words. Because two weeks later, we interview. Two weeks later, they tell us we're going to be on House Hunters. A month later, we film. And then six months later, we're on House Hunters with the home. So everything kind of transitioned very quickly based on uh, Tessa's genuine curiosity of being on reality TV. So that's it. On the show, which I just watched a couple of days ago, there's three places that you guys looked at. How many other total places would you say that you guys looked at between the, uh, you know, the more modern downtown condo mm -hmm. or the house in the woods and the suburbs and the, and the one that was in between? So we obviously saw three houses for house hunters, and I think we saw eight overall. So prior to applying to house hunters, we went to three open houses, one that we stumbled upon uh, as we were driving back from an ice cream place on the south side, um, and then went to one open house downtown, and then one open house in Windsor Heights, which is a fringe suburb you know, type of place in Des Moines. Um, then we applied to house hunters. Then we saw two more, both downtown. Uh, they're like adjacent condo complexes um, that are in the East Village of Des Moines, which is you know, akin, uh, similar to uh, the East Village in New York, you know, carbon copies. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, we went to two open houses uh, for East Village condos. And then we did you know, house hunters and we, we end up you know, choosing one of the homes, so. Who's, um, who's more nervous in front of the camera? You, you talk for a living. Uh, Tess has been around in uh, sports uh, herself. You guys both worked for the, for the Oakland A's. Who is more nervous in front of the camera? Me. Definitely me. Uh, I, I'm usually secured by the microphone and the medium of radio. They're, they're not looking at my face or my reactions um, or my eye contact for that matter. Your know, radio is just so secure because you know, you, you're behind this meeting, you have the microphone, you're in full control 
for three hours or in the PCL four hours when it comes to a game. But TV, you have producers, you have a show narrative, you're in no control. So that gave me like a lot of anxiety. So Tessa, um, she's worked in sports, but she also works in PR. She works for a tech company based out of San Francisco. Um, she's used to dealing with you know, producers and uh, pushing certain narratives because you know she is in PR. So I think that was more in her wheelhouse and her comfort zone. For me, like being so comfortable with radio and not doing much TV, I was definitely more nervous. For the three different places that you guys looked at, I, I, I love how it's like, oh, well, this one's going to go fast. You got to make a decision really quickly. Yeah. So what would have happened if you had not made the decision uh, in time to either A, get the place or B, in time for this one hour allotted TV show? Well, you know what? Maybe they would come for another 40 hours and film the next week. So, yeah, everything was pretty uh, – there was a sense of urgency that I, I think that they push you to make a decision quickly because they don't want to make that extra trip to Des Moines or Kansas City or St. Louis or wherever you're based out of. Um, they want to show you the pros and cons of the house, and they want you to be decisive. And decisiveness is one of my very few strong traits. I don't have many of them, but I, I can make a decision fairly quickly. Tessa has many strong traits, but decisiveness, and I think she'll tell you this, is not one of her strong suits. So we had to really you know, combine and make a decision quickly, and, and we didn't. It's really worked out. So the house that you guys ended up with was the one that you wanted. You wanted the backyard. You wanted kind of the man cave. Um, yeah. Is Tessa okay with this now that you guys have been living there for a number of months now? I think Tessa likes a house more than I do. Really? <laughs> to be completely honest. I think she likes having the space and especially being able to work from home and work remotely right now. She has her own dedicated office. Uh, we just have a lot of room so she can you know, decorate and we can decorate together. But she's really creative and she does a great job. Of, of thinking how the room will be pulled together, how the kitchen will be pulled together with the living room, how the living room will be pulled together with the office. It's like a puzzle that I don't have enough patience to figure out, but she does. And she seems to, to really enjoy it. Um, I, I think location-wise, we thought that it was so much further from the city than it actually was. I mean, it's 12 miles, but it's all highway. So it's 14 minutes from our front door to Principal Park's front door. It is 12 minutes from our front door to Court Avenue. A 12-minute drive in a major city, you're still considered in the city. Like, yeah. it, for San Francisco, it, it's a 12-minute drive from the inner Richmond than it is to the Civic Center, and you're still in San Francisco. So I think once you put it into those terms, we're not nearly as far as we thought we were. And the fact is, we have the space. It's a beautiful home, and she seems to really love it unless she's lying to me, which yeah, could be possible. When, when you're, when you're viewing a house and there's no cameras following you versus when you're viewing a house and there are cameras following you, how did you find how self-conscious you are about what you're looking at and what you're saying and what you're thinking and, and how that's impacting your ultimate decision? Well, it's funny because Tessa and I are, are, are both first time homeowners. So we didn't really know what to do going into the process, what to look for, what details, you know, what nuances of each home to, to really consider. And I think that's why House Hunters really helped us. I mean, this is not their first rodeo, their second rodeo, third rodeo, 100th rodeo, 1,000th rodeo. They've done this a time or two. So we took clues from them what, what they were focusing on and what questions they were asking when it comes to going into our own home and saying, hey, you know, the questions that they asked, do we have that? Do we not have that? Do we have to update that? So they really helped us in that regard. Uh, because you know, we really never had any experience buying a home and they've had plenty of experience finding people homes to buy. So uh, that's really helped. 
Did the real estate agent who we see on the show, was that someone that House Hunters found for you or were you already working with her? Nope, we were already working with her. Uh, Anita Nemers from Iowa Realty. She's awesome. Um, And when we told her that we wanted to be on House Hunters, we were wondering if that would be a blow to a realtor's ego because they're helping us. Not at all. Anita's like, let's do it. Let's have some fun. And yeah, her being able to be on, on television definitely helped her from a business perspective. Uh, but we just had a lot of fun with it. Uh, and we got to go to those three homes and uh, all three of those were in like the Iowa Realty Network. So she wasn't going out of network. You know how like, you know, you're on their uh, medical insurance and you're out of network and you're in network. Those were in network homes. So uh, being able to go to homes that she had some familiarity with as well, along with house hunters, just telling us what to look at, what not to look at. It, it all was you know, a perfect puzzle piece. It worked out well. What's the most nervous that you have ever been before broadcasting a sporting event? This is an easy question to answer. So I I was lucky enough to broadcast an international baseball tournament 2015 and 2019. It was the Premier 12 and broadcasting the Premier 12 gold medal game at the Tokyo Dome, doing a stand up a half hour before the game. And there's 45,000 people just staring down at you. And I was looking over at the person I was doing the interview with, which was JP Morosi of Fox Sports. They're doing the countdown. It's like a minute and a half before. And I look at JP. I'm like, JP, I think I'm going to pass out. (laughs) And he's like, I'm going to give you three pieces of advice. Take three deep breaths, take a drink of water, and look up and smile. And I did all those three. I didn't pass out, but I had never felt like that in my entire life. I've never really been nervous, uh, but at that point, just – being on camera and seeing 45,000 people at the Tokyo Dome look down at you. If, let's say I dropped the microphone or fell, they would laugh at me. I mean, it's just every nightmare that I've, that I've had all, all capped up in a one, two and a half minute interview. Um, but that was by far the most nervous I've ever been. Compare that nervousness to whatever you were feeling before you watched your episode of House Hunters with your girlfriend. I was nervous then, but yeah, I already knew what I filmed. Um, and I just tried to think back to the 40 hours of filming that we did and just thinking like they, I mean, they could take this out of context all they want, but I didn't say anything that bad. Like I didn't know what I was going to say or what I was going to do at the Tokyo Dome. I knew what I said uh, during the hours of filming. So just sitting down, I was very curious and nervous how they were going to put it together, but I knew I didn't screw up that much. They were going to look, make me look like a complete fool, only a little bit. So if it's 40 hours of filming, was that over just two days or is that over like parts of two weeks or what are we talking about? Parts of two weekends. So one weekend they came in um, and they filmed us at our old apartment and then uh, they tour, we toured all three homes and then the next weekend they came back or not the next weekend, another weekend they came back and filmed us in, in our actual home. So what was there? um, What, what if any was the most cringeworthy moment just watching yourself, watching your girlfriend, watching like the whole thing or, or the part that your friends and family have given you the most grief over. Cutting the lemon. So there's, <laughs> yes. there, there's an, ep, there is an episode or there is a part of the episode where we are discussing which house that we are going to purchase. And they're like, make yourself a stiff drink. Well, you know, first of all, our house is, you know, we're, we're in the process of moving out of the house and we're packing up. Uh, so we didn't have any of our silverware that was already packed up. We didn't plan accordingly. So they gave us this pocket knife, so to speak, to cut a lemon. And I absolutely butchered it. And they captured every moment that I butchered it. There's a gif on it. My friends are giving me such crap. Um, and then they were also like, are you really dr- having your drink without any ice? It was an alcoholic beverage. 
Um, and we just didn't think at the time to get a big ball of ice. So having a drink without ice and using a lemon that I cut into like five different pieces, um, that was the most cringeworthy moment by far. There was one part, and I can't remember exactly where it was, where you just sounded like such the sports bro. You're like, you know, I just get back from an eight-game road trip, and I just want to sit on the couch and drink a beer and watch a baseball <laughs> game. And I'm like, could you sound like more of a baseball bro? Oh, just a bro. Oh, and, and one of the comments on Twitter is like, dude, you're not a baseball player. You're a baseball <laughs> broadcaster. I'm like, touche. That's a good point. And I said, I just want to watch a baseball game. Well, who in their right mind would want to come back from an eight game road trip of broadcasting baseball on an off day to watch baseball? Well, first of all, I am, and I might be in the minority there, but I should have specified and said, you know, March Madness or NFL or college football and not just completely immerse myself in one sport. <laughs> if somebody is thinking of going on House Hunters or any reality show, uh, especially with someone who they care about, what would be your advice about what to do and what not to do? My advice, what to do is uh, definitely after each filming, uh, have a couple adult beverages if you are of age and, and just let loose. Just, you know, be transparent and say, you know, I, I really meant this. I didn't. I was putting on for the camera. I didn't. This was taken out of context. This wasn't. Um, and then also just just know and have the expectation that, you're probably going to be made look like a fool. Like I knew going into the show that they were going to make me look like the simple guy who just wanted a house in the suburbs, a backyard for his dog, a place to drink a beer and watch a ball game. Like I knew that. And I think that I'm like slightly more complex than that. Uh, but just having the proper expectations of uh, what the show is going to show um, and understanding that. And that said, you got your wish. You got the house you wanted. I did. I, I got that. I got the house that I wanted. I got the space. Um, and, and fortunately, it's a space that Tessa not only loves, but loves more than me. So it, it worked out perfectly. Like if I were to draw up this scenario of Tessa waking me up at seven o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and saying that I want to be in an HGTV show, I did not think it would work this well. Like I, there are so many different types of issues and situations that that could have happened that could have been a lot worse and it worked out really well all right well well done i don't want to just talk about house hunters uh we got to talk some baseball too and Ooh. so um so let's kind of transition here to um <clears throat> now i appreciate people who, who hustle who have done a lot of odd jobs a lot of different types of jobs within the industry slightly outside the industry outside the industry and that's definitely you um I mean, even just the minor league teams, Gateway Grizzlies, Huntsville Stars, Idaho Falls Chuckers, Bowling Green, and, and now the Iowa Cubs, plus the work with the World Baseball Softball Federation. Um, you've done a lot, um, but I want to start with, do you still work for a radio station in Australia? So they, I am technically a freelancer for them. Um, and they, pro they contact me like five times a year, like to talk about the new minor league baseball rules. They called me twice. They're like, please explain this to us. We don't understand why they need bigger bases or why they are abandoning the shift. I mean, they just learned what the shift was last year out there. So, um, yeah, they, they contact me probably five or six times a year, usually during major league baseball playoffs. I go on one of their radio shows and we just talk, we just shoot the biz. So what, what do Australians think or care most about United, uh, Amer USA sports betting? They betting? love the bet. Yeah. They, they look at the odds. They look at the futures bets. You mean sports betting out there is 10 years ahead of what sports betting 
here is. So they are, they have this uh, sports betting entity called tab. Um, and it really started with horse racing out there, uh, but they are huge. And I mean, huge into NFL gambling and they are huge into major league baseball gambling. And obviously us as minor league baseball employees, we can't bet on baseball, but we, we can tell them the nuances of the game that can uh, help them with their, with their appropriate bets. I would have never thought that that's not the answer that I was expecting whatsoever. And, and I'm glad I, I'm, I like it when I hear answers that I'm not expecting, I would not have realized that they were so what, what is it about game? I mean, especially I mean, it's hard enough to bet successfully on the sports that you can like go watch in person, let yeah. alone on sports that are on the other side of, of the planet. It, it just gives them another Avenue that they can bet at four o'clock in the morning, just based on the time difference. But I mean, betting is just so entrenched into their sports system. I mean, the, the betting when it comes to footy and cricket and horse racing is just so big there. And it's been big there for a while. It just gives them another Avenue to do that. I mean, it, it's a lot of fun when I broadcast it out in Australia, you know, walking to a random pub um, at six o'clock in the morning and they're playing Sunday night football or, or, or going to a casino late at night and they're playing NFL football. I mean, they, they love it. And it's, uh, it was a lot of fun out there. I enjoyed it. Were you there when Tyler Mon was there as well at the same time? Did you guys overlap? No, Tyler was a little bit earlier than me. I think Tyler was there in either 2011 or 2012. And I was there in 2014. Okay. Cause I've talked with Tyler a lot, both on the air and had him on as a podcast guest about his experience, uh, with baseball yeah. in Australia. And so I'm kind of curious to compare and contrast of, of what your expectations were and what are the biggest takeaways from your time in Australia doing baseball? So Tyler was there during the first year of the second stint of the ABL. So the ABL was around in the seventies, eighties, early nineties, took a break, came back in the two thousands. And I think Tyler was there either in year one or year two. Uh, for me, I was there in 2014. So a couple of years after and for me, at the point that I was at in my career, so I spent two years with the Huntsville Stars. They ended up getting sold February of 2014, and they were just like, you know what, you could come back if you want, but you have to sell your own ad time on this radio station. I didn't have the money to do that or at least invest in that. So uh, I spent a year with the Oakland Athletics as a broadcasting media relations assistant. So Bay Area roots right there. That's how I met my girlfriend. Um, but Going to Oakland and being in a non-play-by-play role made me realize how much I wanted to be back in a play-by-play role. I talk way too much. I have way too many opinions not to be on air and sit in the background. And, and that's just something that I realized there. So uh, I, I contacted you know, a couple of friends who were still in the industry. One of them was Craig Durham, who I worked in, um, in the Southern League with. He was with Mobile when I was with Huntsville. He was the voice of the Melbourne Aces in 2013, and he contacted me one day. And he was like, hey, man, like, you know, I obviously love it out here. It's great. But I met a girl and we're moving back to Canada. Do you want to come here and broadcast our games for the 2014 season? It took me about two minutes to say yes. I interviewed with them the next day. I got my uh, my visa a week later. I was out on a flight a week later. So wow. it all kind of happened like that. Um, and I knew that my expectation was, well, I get to go to Australia when it's winter in the United States and it's summer out there. So it's going to be great from a life experience and also just being able to call games. Uh, and get back into that in that rhythm and I call like 26 games but what you learn there is baseball was so grassroots I mean you say six four three double play they don't know what that is they don't know what a six is they don't know the six equates to shortstop and a four equates to second base and a three equates to first base so you have to explain that to them and just being able to break down baseball that to its truest root like you're explaining it to like my 75 year old grandmother or my nephews in third grade 
made me appreciate the game a little bit more. And it also made me paint the picture, which we're supposed to do as radio guys, because that's how you explain things that, to people who don't understand and make them understand. What was your favorite non-baseball thing about living in Australia? That's really tough. Uh, I have two. Um, so one of our employees for the Melbourne Aces, our PA address announcer, is really big into the sports community. He, he wrote for the main paper. He was a beat writer. Um, and he just had a lot of connections. Great guy, Gilbert Gardner. And, and he calls me up one day. He's like, I got two tickets to a skybox um, at the Australian Open, the tennis open, Rod Laver Arena. And uh, he said, do you want to come? So I came and we were there for like 12 hours. We ate, we drank all day, everything free. Saw Leighton Hewitt. Um, we saw, who was, uh, we saw Rafael Nadal. That was, that was the, the 8 p.m. game. Um, but we had many free beverages and watched really cool Australian Open uh, tennis. And that was just so much fun. And then during Christmas time, um, obviously we weren't near our family. So myself and three employees from the Melbourne Aces, uh, we took a, a four day road trip along the great ocean road and camped out and sat back in our cars and slept in our cars and, uh, spent 16 hours a day on the beach and drank beer and just, it was awesome. Oh, so oh, cool. I'm so jealous yeah. that th that sounds like so much fun. It was that a blast. I put me there right now. I'll come, <laughs> I'll come back on May 4th when the season starts. Let's go back to the time in Oakland, though, because two of my favorite broadcasters are Ken Korak and Vince Catronio, just wonderful people and just so, so good at, at their craft. And they're both PCL alums, kind of just being around them and watching them and knowing this is something that you had done previously and wanted to get back into. What are some of the biggest things that you learned from from Ken and from Vince? They are the reason that I'm still doing this. I don't know how to put it as unequivocally as that uh, being in Huntsville, I was you know, 23 and 24 years old, the two years that I was there. And it was great getting that experience. But when you don't have somebody really listening and your internet only broadcast and you're not getting that feedback, you develop good habits, but you also develop really bad habits. Um, just trying to get through a 140 game season for two years without much help. Um, so going to Oakland, I learned how to prep for a game what they do. I mean, I, I sat up in the booth and just took note of what information they use and how they go about going down to batting practice and going in the media scrums and what information that they're taking there and, and making sure how they use it during a broadcast and, and not using it within the first three innings, spreading it out over a nine inning, three hour, 15 minute game. What spots and places to use that information from a radio perspective, what descriptions they're using, if they're talking about the defensive alignment, if they're shaded to pull, if they're in a shift, uh, outfield, are they playing to pull, are they playing straight away, are they playing deep, uh, the nuances of the pitcher, they throw from a three-quarters arm angle, a sidearm angle, over the top, what percentage of breaking balls are using, it is a slider, is it a curve, is it a splitter, uh, is it a changeup? Um, I listen to them every single game and just try to, to see what rhythm they got into with using those descriptors and how often they did it. And it really helped me notice how far I had to come to be a big level broadcaster and what I needed to do to get there. And without that experience and seeing that for 
I guess it was 72 home games at the time because I, I left a little bit early to go to Australia without those 72 games of like actually taking the mic away from me and not speaking, which is really difficult for me and, 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 and listening to them and taking their critiques. And on days that I wasn't working, that I had like a rare off day, take my own equipment into a Jason booth, cut up a demo inning and have them critique it right in front of my face and an honest critique. I mean, they ripped me to shreds. But in the best way possible, and I, I don't think I could have learned more in a summer if I tried. It's really interesting you say that because I, I was fortunate to do that for one game, not for an entire season. So, I mean, I knew them from my time as a newspaper reporter at the Oakland Tribune, and, and I go to Modesto, and I had done some minor league baseball right out of college, and I think I had done one exhibition game for the Modesto Nuts. And then I'm back in the Bay, and I got to basically stand – as Ken and Vince uh, were calling an A's Giants game in San Francisco, the exhibition, the Baybridge series. And I had a notepad with me and I was just writing stuff down and watching them and hearing them and taking notes. I remember just realizing similar to what you said, just how far it is that I have to yeah. go. Yeah. And I still have those notes. And before the start of every season, I go back to them. And it's sort of like how I like to ground myself before the start of the season, just the reminders. Um, you know, I, I remember thinking like, oh, yeah, I, I know to say the score a lot. And I was like, no, 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 no. You don't come close to say the score. <laughs> no, not not even close. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and just like, the, okay. ways that, and the ways that they do it. I mean, it's not just three, two A's lead in the seventh inning. It is, you know, three runs, two hits. No, they, they say the line score. They say the scoring summary. It's just having like those bullets in your holster uh, of different ways to say the same thing. Good stuff. Good stuff. I mean, right. it, it also helps that they're two great guys as well. I mean, there's most broadcasters in the big leagues are awesome. They are on another level. I mean, I still talk to Vince, if not once a week, once every two weeks, he gives me a call. We text back and forth. I get a call from Ken before the season starts, just you know, wishing me good luck. I mean, they are not only great broadcasters, they are great people as well. And, and I think you could see that with Vince, especially his son, Dom who's now broadcasting on the, on the PAC 12 network and has done a lot of spring training stuff. Um, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and Vince is a role model to me. And I could see why he's a role model to his son. World baseball softball federation. You teased mm -hmm. this a little bit earlier about the most nervous that you've been, but you've been to Tokyo, you've been to uh, Columbia, you've, you've been to Taiwan. Um, first of all, jealous. Hello, <laughs> jealous that you've done those. Well done. Um, what, what makes broadcasting international baseball different than broadcasting minor league baseball or major league baseball? It makes baseball feel like the 10th most important sport here. You go out to Taiwan and Japan, and these are fans that show up a half hour before the game. They are packed to the gills. They stand up all three hours of the game. And for every player, they have a choreographed chant. And it's just all – based on the individual player and their history with that organization. It is so cool. I mean, you, you go to a game in the Tokyo Dome and if it's a big game, there are pinch me moments that you just, you know, when you talk about broadcasting, the crowd speaks the loudest, so to speak. And there were times where I would pause 45 seconds, a minute in a broadcast, just so people could understand the atmosphere. I mean, it is so contagious and it is so palpable um, how, passionate the fans are there with not only baseball in their own organization but the entire league and the history of it 
Uh, and I and I experienced that definitely in, in both Taiwan and uh, and when I was in Tokyo in 2019. So you mentioned how nervous you were before the start of that standup. What do you remember about that game and the high that you were on when that game ended? I didn't fall asleep till five o'clock in the morning, and it wasn't because I was celebrating. It was if I never make the big leagues when it comes to broadcasting that will be the top moment of my broadcasting career hands down. And I will automatically consider my broadcasting career a success. That was, it was just the feeling that you had after that. I did something special. I did something that I'm passionate about. I was paid to do it. Um, and I wish I could have that moment 365 days out of the year. I don't think my heart could take it, <laughs> but after leaving the Tokyo Dome, and it was the last night that we were in in Tokyo. It was a 15 day trip, so you're at a certain level of exhaustion because there's there's a lot that goes into it when it comes to the travel and the prep and just the the emotions of, of doing all that. But for that to be the last game of the Premier 12, 45,000 fans, Japan wins, celebration on the field. We celebrate after the fact. I remember walking back to my hotel room in the Tokyo Dome with a lot of positive expletives in my head saying, I can't believe I just did this. So especially as we get to this point in American baseball, where it's about let the kids play and have fun and bat flips and showing emotion and all that. What, what can American baseball fans learn from fans around the world so that we can get United States baseball? Cause we see that in, in October, we, we see that in, in, yeah. in the playoffs and dramatic moments in September, but how, how does that become more of an integral part of, you know, the Tuesday in May in Des Moines or in Albuquerque or in Oakland or in Cincinnati? You know, this is going to make me seem like, you know, the Clint Eastwood get off my lawn old man. But if you watch an international baseball game in Japan and to- or in Tokyo or, or Taiwan, notice how many fans are on their cell phone. Just take a look. They're, they're actually like immersing themselves in the game. They're writing down the score. They're paying attention. And I would say for the fans in, in the United States, go to a game and just spend those three hours away from distractions and, and watch and enjoy it and drink beers and eat hot dogs. But you don't have to be on Snapchat or Instagram or, or, or Twitter. And that's my downfall, Twitter. <laughs> um, but just taking those two and a half hours or three hours and appreciating the game. That would be my thing. So speaking of Twitter, are you, are you going to mellow out and stop fighting with people? I, I do notice that you're not fighting with people as often, but you, you have these moments, though. I do. Um, and that's just the East Coast, Philadelphia and me. I come from a family of lawyers. I want to prove every single person on Twitter, not just my followers, that I'm right. Um, but I'm, I am trying to have a more friendly dialogue. I mean, there are times that I just took personal everything that they said. And, and it's more for fun and out of boredom. Um, but I recognize that that's not the best for for one's mental health and just getting <laughs> caught up in every single thing that joe five four six eight seven eight nine uh has to say but i appreciate you noticing that i've scaled back i'm gonna tell my girlfriend that she's gonna be very happy um i, I try to live and limit myself to one twitter argument per week that can't go cold turkey one per week okay <laughs> One per week. Well, I might have to keep track of this since I can't see you in person anymore uh, in games. Uh, So speaking of that, you know, so uh, I'm still going to call it the PCL in the International League because I I, I, AAA West to AAA East, but 
you know, for, for people who don't know or people who have forgotten, they need to be reminded the Iowa Cubs are no longer going to be a part of the Pacific Coast League. You're joining uh, the league that was formerly known as the International League. So explain from the Des Moines, Iowa perspective, what this means for your fans and what this means for travel and what this means from a baseball standpoint. Um, first, I'll start with travel. I mean, especially this year, since we're staying you know, all in the same geographical circle. Um, it's a lot of bus trips. I think that that St. Paul going from independent leagues to a triple A team. Um, it's three and a half hours away. It's a really nice ballpark. It's in Minneapolis. Um, and then all, them also being a twins affiliate. If you're in Des Moines, you notice a demographic shift. It is, you know, the Cubs first and foremost, most people are Cubs fans. Then most people are Cardinals fans, but then most people are twins fans. And then those people are Royals fans. So having both a, the AL contingents with the Twins, three and a half hours north, and then the Royals with Omaha, which we had last year and in years before, having those two fan bases that we're going to play, how many games are we playing this year? 120 right now. We're playing them 71 times or 72 times. We'll be seeing a lot of Twins and a lot of Royals, which I think our fans will really like. So that's a benefit to Des Moines. I mean, the fact that the, the Memphis Redbirds are also shifting to, you know, what used to be the International League along with us, but are in different divisions. We won't have as much Cubs-Cardinals matchups uh, like we did in the PCL. So I think some of our fans won't be happy about that. But, you know, for me, I'm glad that we're still going to be able to go to Nashville at some point because that's one of my favorite cities. I'm glad that we're still going to be able to go to Memphis because they have really good barbecue when it's a Cubs-Cardinals rivalry. Uh, but I'm definitely going to miss being able to go to Round Rock. I mean, Round Rock, Austin, Texas, one of my favorite cities. Uh, really like going to Sacramento because it's so close to San Francisco. And obviously, my girlfriend is from California, lived in San Francisco. A lot of our friends live in San Francisco in the Bay Area. Um, I actually like going to Fresno because uh, sometimes Tessa's parents would come up from Southern California. It's only a two and a half hour drive. Really like Tacoma, the Pacific Northwest. I mean, We've never been there when it's raining, shockingly. Uh, so just 70 to 75 degrees, cool, crisp air. Uh, really love that during the summer. But in my time in the PCL, I never made it to Salt Lake. I never made it to Albuquerque. I never made it to El Paso. So, you know, I didn't really get to experience all what those cities had to offer. Didn't, I, I've never even been to Las Vegas uh, when it comes to baseball. So I never saw the old stadium or the new stadium. So I didn't get to experience either side of it you basically missed out on the four biggest high altitude cities that that create the most ridiculous baseball that's really fun until correct. it's not so much fun correct <laughs> correct i you know, i did not get to experience a 23 16 game <laughs> in uh we call in, that tuesday yeah yeah a, tip, a typical tuesday but I mean, we had some high scoring games in reno definitely um, but no, nothing in Salt Lake or, or Albuquerque where, you know, you just see that the average team ERA over the last 10 years is like a five, eight, one. And like Albuquerque scores like 6.4 runs per game. And it's, um, I, I wish we could have gone to Albuquerque because I've never really been to New Mexico before in my cross country travels. I've driven through New Mexico. My one highlight is getting a speed ticket. Um, so I would like to make that a better experience for me and, and go to Albuquerque and eat, what is it? The green chilies or the green chili and the red chili. Green, yep. Green chili. I'm a, I'm a big food guy, which you could tell about my physique. So, um, yeah, I would have loved to go to New Mexico. I would have loved to go to Albuquerque and, you know, hopefully at some point we'll, um, we'll have some interleague cross league play where we'll be able to actually make it out there. Yeah, well, well, in future years, I'm, I'm jealous, too, because, you know, once the schedule gets back to a somewhat normal schedule, hopefully in 2022, 
Durham and Charlotte and Gwinnett and some of these other ballparks that I've never seen that you've probably never seen, you're going to get to expand your, um, you know, your, your, your list of places that to see and call a game from. Yeah, no, I, uh, I I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I've been to Gwinnett before. I have family in Atlanta. It's a nice ballpark. Uh, I'm really looking forward to going to Charlotte. I mean, you, you've seen the pictures of the city in the background and it seems like downtown is, uh, yeah, Mike Trout, Aaron Judge type of home run away. So um, I'm really looking forward to going to Charlotte. And then also East Coast-wise, so Worcester, Massachusetts, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, Lehigh Valley. I mean, Lehigh Valley is where I got my minor league baseball start as an intern in 2009, 2010, where I was getting the broadcaster's chicken sandwiches from the press box, and that was my main job. So everything would really come full circle if I could call a game from Coca-Cola Park. I'd really enjoy that. When did you know, speaking of that internship, when did you know this, or, you know, I like to go, uh, whether it's a player, whether it's a broadcaster and it's, I think I can do this, or I think I want to do this to, I know I can do this, or I must do this as my career. When, what was that moment for you? All right. So the, I think I can do this was when I was 16 um, and I decided not to play football and we decided to broadcast those games on the public access channel in my high school. And I realized, oh, I can actually talk this much and not get in trouble. <laughs> That's what I'm like, oh, I could probably do this. This is I was I was born to do something like this. Um, and then when I was in college, just doing student radio and, and calling basketball games from Assembly Hall and, and calling some baseball games from Sam Bauer Field and Big Ten Action. And I remember I was able to fill in on our um, on our Learfield station for one game. It was like my fourth baseball game I've ever broadcasted. And uh, one of the athletic communications people said, I don't know if you've done a lot of games before, but you have a really natural feel to this. And I knew that I always wanted to get into baseball broadcasting. I mean, just growing up in Philadelphia, Harry Callis, I, I knew that I wanted to do that. Uh, but just hearing that, hey, you're, you're kind of pitching with a 96-mile-per-hour fastball with what you know about the game and your nuances and, and understanding the rhythm, you just have to understand where it's going. Uh, and that just comes from innings and critiques and, you know, humbling situations in which you screw up and try to improve on. So um, I, I think that was a time I'm like, you know what, I can do this. And, and then when I got the Iowa Cubs job, you know, at, at that point in my career, so I started off in double A uh, with the Huntsville stars. Then I spent a year away um, just doing the media relations and broadcasting stuff, but no play by play. Then worked my way back, went to Australia, went to Idaho falls, which was rookie ball, which is incredible. Um, I love the pioneer league. I never been to that part of the country. You want to talk about high scoring games, high scoring games. Uh, third game I called it was 25, 17 and the game featured 11 home runs. Surprisingly only took three hours and 45 minutes. I don't know how, um, but yeah. And then just working my way back, going to Bowling Green, but just getting the triple a job and knowing that you are one step away from the big leagues and it's the biggest step. It's the most difficult step. But nonetheless, it is one step away. And, and just knowing that you're so damn close, part of my language, um, that's when I realized that there's no turning back. Well, especially with the Iowa Cubs job, I mean, it's a, it's a situation where Dean Ellis has been there for a really long time. We all love Dean and, and what he's meant to baseball and, and what he means to the Des Moines community. And then Randy Wayhoffer, who had been working with Dean, decides that he's not going to broadcast anymore. And so your boss is a guy who used to sit in your chair, basically. Yeah. It, it explains sort of the dynamic of wanting to be able to assert yourself as, as, as the broadcaster for the Cubs, but also, 
hey, the guy who used to sit in the seat is my boss, and the guy sitting right next to me is a legend in this market. It's yeah. sort of that, um, that, that balancing act. So when it comes to Dean, I was really lucky in Idaho Falls to call games next to John Balgini, who similarly to Dean has been in the community for 30 plus years, has been calling Idaho Falls Chuckers games for two decades. He's like the main program director and the main sports talk radio host for the main sports station in Idaho Falls. He's a legend there. So just understanding that dynamic with John and calling games with him for a year, that really helped me um, when it comes to calling games with Dean because they're, they're very similar. They're incredibly talented and they're incredibly well liked. And you just don't want to step on their toes when it comes to that. And you want to give them the autonomy to call as many games as they want and, and dictate those moments because they're a little bit older and you don't want to force them out. I mean, they deserve the respect to go out on their own terms, both John and Dean. With Randy, I, I couldn't ask for a better mentor boss when it comes to Randy. Now, if I were in that situation, and I was in the Iowa Cubs broadcast chair for 11 years, and I decided to hire somebody for my position, I don't think I would have handled it nearly as gracefully as he did. I would have wanted to get in and call games. I would have wanted to give critiques. When I got the job and I sat down, he said, day one, this is yours. This is your ship to drive. I am not going to get in your way unless you ask or unless you really screw up. And he hasn't gotten in my way, so I guess I haven't really screwed up in three years, <laughs> which is a blessing. I can't believe that's actually the case. Um but he has really stayed true to his word. Um, he has not interfered at all. I mean, we've had conversations on broadcasting and elements to add to the broadcast, but he's been nothing but helpful. Um, and I think for him, he, he wanted a clean break from it. I mean, he has two teenage daughters that he loves coaching them in softball and their assorted sports and spending time with them and going to dance recitals. Um, He's a great father and a great family man. And I think that he just wanted to spend more time with this family and not go on the road to these various places where he's already been to a dozen times. Um, and the situation just couldn't be any better. And, and I'm very lucky for that. I'm going to miss going to Des Moines. I, I think it's so much fun. I remember that was the first road trip I did with, with the isotopes. And, and I didn't know all I knew about Iowa was that the caucus is the Iowa caucus. Yeah, really. It's uh, there. Yeah. And, and then I arrive and, and I see, I see the Des Moines river and I see uh, what is it? The confluence of the, uh, what is it? It's the, uh, the raccoon and the Des Moines river. And I see yep. like all these restaurants and all these bars. And I was like, man, this place is great. I remember I was walking in the ballpark and I see uh, this, this, this advertisement that's like Bon Jovi. And I was like, Oh, when's he playing? And I was like, Oh, it's tonight. And I was like, cool. So I like called a day game in Iowa. And then I went to the Bon Jovi concert like that night by myself. I didn't care. I was like, whatever. I look up to the rafters and there's Bon Jovi's Jersey. I was like, Oh yeah, he was an owner of the, the, uh, the, the, the hockey. I mean, not the hockey, the, the, the football, the football team, team that was here. Yeah. The Barnstormers. Um, yeah. And then just doing games from, from principal park it's it's just this cool cool old school kind of place and there's always these day games so it feels like a mini wrigley field because of that and just yeah. like the, like the layout of the place and where you know the, the main walkways are underneath and then the seats are like out and um it's really neat um i'm forgetting what i was going to ask you uh, question wise as i just ramble on and on oh yeah well um, that, that's fine i mean and you brought it up really well i mean in my opinion and it could be biased and it could be unbiased i, I think principal bark is what triple a baseball should be like like if you were to describe triple a baseball in a dictionary it would be that like good crowds old school stadium peanuts and cracker jacks good promotions downtown ballpark really good fireworks show on friday I mean, it's not like you're getting sushi at the concession stands, but you get a good dog, you get a good tenderloin, 
you have a kielbasa, you have a sausage, you have a couple beers. It's just what AAA baseball should be like. Yeah, and people bike all the time to get there. They I, do, I love, yeah, yeah I, I love the biking community that's there. Um, I saved the bike for you for 2023. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's in my garage. I have a three car garage now. I have a bike. For you. Yeah, so I got to figure out a way to, uh, yeah, to get back is because it's just a good place and it's a knowledgeable baseball crowd. Was there anything? I mean, certainly going from different organizations, um, you know, C- Cubs fans are are special. And when you go to an Iowa Cubs game, not just because they're called the I Cubs, mm-hmm. um, you can tell it's, it's, it's Cubs fans. What, 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 what was your kind of, ah, Cubs fans are different. Um, when, when you got to Iowa and were broadcasting their games, there's two and both came in 2018, my first year. So I'll, I'll go with the one that happened later in the year first. Cause that was just like the Holy crap moment. So it was August. We were 30 games under 500. We were one of the worst statistical teams in all of minor league baseball when it came to all of our offensive stats. Um, I get a call from Shelby Cravens, our media relations director, is now working for the Colorado Rockies, and she says, Chris Bryant's going to be happy with us. Oh, awesome. It's going to be a great jolt for, for me personally as a broadcaster. But he's coming on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Like, we're probably not going to get a good crowd. She's like, you have no idea, do you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. School is back in session. It's late August. Like, we're not going to get big crowds. Or if we're going to get crowds, it's going to be like a marginal increase. For that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we had an average of over 10,000 fans. They were at the ballpark an hour and a half before the game. Grown men, grown women crying when Chris Bryant is signing their autographs. He's signing kids. I mean, it's uh, it was insane. You know, just the media coverage that was being picked up. And even though we were 30 games under 500, if anybody notable, even not notable, but notable comes in rehabs, you know, from the Cubs and does it with the I-Cubs and especially somebody like Chris Bryan, I mean, it was just a madhouse. And that's when I thought, like, holy crap, like, Cubs fans are a different breed. And then our first road trip in Fresno, uh, we were there in the middle of the week. It was 107 degrees that day. And I remember walking to the ballpark. I'm just burning. I'm, I'm not wearing any sunscreen. So I can feel my forehead literally frying. And this is like an hour and a half before the game. And I already see a line, you know, to get into the ballpark, all Cubs jerseys. All Cubs jerseys in Fresno on a weekday, over 100 degrees, waiting to get in to see their favorite team. I mean, and the Cubs brand is a national brand. It's like the Dodgers. It's like the Yankees. It's like the Red Sox. And the Cubs are in that tier of it doesn't matter where you are. You could be in Fresno, California. You could be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. You will find a Cubs bar and you will find Cubs fans. It's funny you mentioned Chris Bryant. He was, I'm pretty sure it was 2014 that we happened to be there. And he had just been called up to AAA. And I remember he got standing ovations when he was coming to the plate. He was still a prospect. Obviously, he was a huge prospect. Everybody yeah. knew um, what his future was. He was getting standing ovations as he came to the plate. I'm pretty sure he hit like four home runs in, in the four-game series. But it was neat because <laughs> we had Jock Peterson in center, and, and they had Chris Bryant at third. And it was like, all right, here we go. These are like future all-stars. And they're both playing in, in this game. And, yeah. yeah, it was just super fun. But just their knowledge was – was great. Um, and it's funny you mentioned Fresno too, because I remember again, my first year, look, Fresno is about halfway between San Francisco and, and LA. And LA the yeah. exact half. So I look outside and I see half orange and half blue. Right. That's and then you look in the stands and it's half orange and it's half blue. And it's like, they came to see the giants and Dodgers triple a 
you know, uh, you know, affiliates and they may not know who any of these names are. Maybe they know a few of these names, but they just came to cheer for their color. They're showing pride. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, all right, Alex, as we look ahead to 2021, let's, uh, let's get a little uh, nostalgic or a little, um, you know, um, just big picture. Um, having not been able to do what we did last year, what are your thoughts as we're, uh, you know, about a month or so away from beginning um, a season that's probably still going to be very, very different, but what you, um, your kind of takeaways from what we've been through and what we're about to get back to. Yeah. The hair sticking up on my arms, just thinking about it. Um, I, I haven't gone this long without going to a baseball game live, you know, an affiliated baseball since I can remember. I mean, we're talking about three, four years old. Um, I actually was able to call a college baseball game last week and it was my first baseball game called in 500 days and I thought that I would be rusty and I was thinking about it in the car ride there like how I would do but once that first pitch is thrown it's just all mechanical it's like riding a bike you just and obviously there was some rust when it comes to the verbiage and you know and the pace but it just felt normal it felt like what I was supposed to do and just talking about the 2021 season how it may be different I mean we obviously seen some documents major league baseball talking about all the precautions that they're taking and if broadcasters can one travel with the team and two how often they could be around the team um and, and that's still undecided and probably will be undecided until may 4th when they have a firm grasp on you know, how many people are vaccinated who's all safe what they're going to do and, and my general manager's like you know what you're gonna you're gonna hate being the broadcaster this year as it stands right now i'm like well why is that it's like well you might have to do this and you might have to spend this amount of time in your hotel room and you might not be able to go out to bars i said sam as long as i could sit in a press box and call a baseball game for three hours and call it my job this year will be significantly better than last year and i won't have a word to complain about it and he's like that's a really good point so that's my take on it yeah as someone who's been very fortunate to be able to to kind of branch over to the university of Nevada and do, you know, women's basketball and then do baseball. I, I can't imagine what it would be like for me on May 6th to do a game for the first time in what are that 17 months or whatever. So I'm glad that I will have had, had, you know, th th this time with the Wolfpack. Um, I think about my first game, you know, is that Cal Pauly and how excited I was, but also just like, yeah, nervous and also wait can i remember how to do this and their press box is being renovated so i'm way down the left field line on a yeah. balcony and so i'm trying to see the field uh you're like oh crap i'm not even gonna be able to say pitch right and then <laughs> that first pitch is thrown and you just automatically like you have that tunnel vision on like a pitcher does and you're just right back in it yeah yeah and, and it was great and and you realize how much you miss it but then you know it's 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 fun and uh whatever this season is like, I, I know that all of us are just glad that, uh, that we'll be back doing it. Absolutely. I mean, if I have to call games off a of monitor, I'll call games off a of monitor. As long as a, a game is nine innings or seven innings, like I don't even care if there's an extra runner on second base for extra innings. As long as I'm calling three hours of baseball per day for the next six months, I'm, I'm a, I'm a pardon my language. I'm a pig and shit. <laughs> all right, Alex. Thanks so much for your time. This was fun. Um, Congratulations on being a homeowner and a reality TV star. And uh, I look forward to us crossing paths in person again sometime soon. Sush, I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it was fun. It's good to see you. And uh, yeah, look forward to baseball season. We'll talk soon. That's Alex Cohen. This is Life Around the Seams. <laughs> 